perimenopause and the menopausal transition is is also just really uncomfortable for a lot of people for a lot of reasons and you know the cultural messages we seem to get is like if you just work hard enough you can control your body and yet all those things we can't really control hey guys it's Corey from redefining strength welcome to this episode of the fitness hacks podcast So we're gonna start today with realizing that the process is never over, you are never done. I wanna talk about what it really takes to achieve results. Then I'm gonna share a great interview with Dr. Charlotte Markey about body image and how to even talk to your kids about body image, especially if you are working towards aesthetic goals. I'll then go into what it really takes to get abs. I know we often talk about the logistics of getting there, but I wanna talk about the mindsets as well. Uh, Then I'll share a great dietary change you can make today if you wanna dial in those macros. And finally, I'll end with some tips to help you improve those pull-ups so you can bust out that amazing bodyweight move. If you are listening, especially if you want to see the movements that I share for the pull-up, make sure to check out the video on YouTube. But let's jump right in. It is never over. You are never done. If you want to achieve a specific goal, a new better result, while you're making changes, it's not simply make the changes, achieve the goal, and then go back to what you were doing. It is a continual learning and growing process. You are making changes that have to stick, which means you have to somewhat enjoy the journey. As cliche as that really is, it's the truth. Because we have to be doing the work every single day. It is those boring, basic habits, the habits we can not want to do, that aren't necessarily fun, that aren't necessarily sexy, that we need to really not only implement, but embrace if we want to see the results and make those results last. So as I was thinking about the fact that it's never done, we don't go back to what we were doing prior. You know, even if we're thinking like, oh, I'm putting in so much work with my diet and exercise routine, like why do I keep doing this? You're doing this because this is what makes you better. This leads to becoming the person that has the goal that you want to have. But it's like paying rent. Rent is due every single day. So in thinking about all this, I'm like, how can we embrace Again, as cliche it is, the process so that we want to keep doing it, we want to maintain our results long term, we actually enjoy certain aspects of our lifestyle, and we truly build something that will help us, again, maintain that success long term. So in doing that, I'm like, okay, what can we do? Finding new habits that promote the healthy habits. So if you need to make a change to your macros, if you need to start training, what can you do in terms of daily habits that will make you embrace these things and make it more fun? Maybe you don't enjoy traditionally working out. How can you get started doing it in a way that you actually enjoy? Can you go to the park and chase your kids around? Can you start by just walking your dog a little bit longer? Can you start with another activity like even archery or dance or something else that will get you moving? It doesn't have to be that traditional workout, even if you might want to eventually build to that. But you need to find ways to embrace those healthy habits. If it is making those macro changes, can you start by trying to make new recipes with your family to make those changes easier? Can you find ways to make, you know, that macro-friendly pizza on pizza night and game night? But find ways to make the healthier habits you're going to implement more of a lifestyle balance, something you actually enjoy, breaking them down a little bit. Think about different ways you can even, you know, find new healthy restaurants if you enjoy going out. If you want to go to, say, your favorite, you know, cocktail bar, is there a way you can, you know, plan that in for the week to work around it? But think about ways to actually implement healthy habits in a sustainable way. And then realize that what ultimately becomes sustainable doesn't always feel easy to start. 
it's hard to sort of embrace that because we want everything to just be comfortable, but we've trained ourselves to believe what we're doing right now is natural, what right now is easy, right? This is what we enjoy. We found our reward systems. So it's going to be a process to break them. And often, and I've mentioned this before, you know, we'll look back at something and be like, oh, why didn't I do this sooner? And it's because it didn't feel sustainable to start, even though it now does. So it's really key that we do find ways to meet ourselves where we're at to make those healthy habits more enjoyable or even break them down. Because ultimately what moves us forward and what allows us to embrace that process is the pain of staying stuck outweighing the pain of change. Sometimes you can press on that pain a little bit more, right? You know, there's some discomfort that you really want to get out of. But a lot of times we can't change what pain we're actually feeling, but we can change the pain of the changes that we're having to make. So sometimes breaking down those changes a little bit more. Like if you're like, I, I can't embrace tracking macros, there's just no way I can make it fun with the recipes or whatever else. Well, what's one small change you can make? Can you drink more water? Could you add a few more vegetables to something? How can you make it so that you can sort of enjoy the process a little bit more or at least not make it painful to make it less painful than staying stuck, right? So while we can't change the pain we're actually in, we can change the pain of the changes that we're making. So just remember, it's not about doing something to achieve a goal and then going back to what we were doing. It's also not about exactly doing what we did to achieve a goal forever, but in that process, we have to embrace lifestyle changes to grow into the person we're going to be, which means that we have to find ways to really like what we're doing to some extent or make it more sustainable and embrace actually creating those routines and habits. Just remember that it is about sort of paying rent and that rent is due every single day and you can't just stop paying it if you expect to maintain that result or keep that, that place that you've built to. So the process is never done. Find ways to really enjoy it. Share your tips even as to how you've made changes easier for yourself so that you could build the new lifestyle that you deserve to get the results that you want. I'm so excited today to be joined by Dr. Charlotte Marquis to talk about positive body image and building and improving your relationship with your body and even inspiring future generations. She is a professor of psychology at Rutgers University and the author of The Body Image Book for Girls, as well as Being You, The Body Image Book for Boys. Let's jump right in. I am super excited to chat today with Dr. Charlotte Marquis about body image. And I have to admit, I knew this was going to be a fun conversation because I saw that you're a dessert lover yourself. Uh, so I'm super excited to chat not only about how we can improve our personal, you know, relationship with our body, but also inspire future generations. So let's dive right in. Talking about body image, how can we start to build that more positive association, that more positive relationship? I mean, I think some of this depends on where we're starting. Right. So some people are um, really suffering surrounding these issues and starting might mean seeking out professional help. Right. That they just need a lot of support and guidance um, for some of us. Maybe it's just something that bugs us every now and then and we can just use some sort of cognitive behavioral strategies, um, which can be found um, like in the books I've written or um, online, probably even. Not that going online is always the safest place to get your health-related information, um, but I think it it really depends on where we're starting in terms of um, what kind of support and help um, we need to work on our own body image. And I think it's even something where it's a constant work in progress, right? Like, especially with balancing 
potentially wanting to seek aesthetic changes and developing that health, like healthy relationship, what would you tell somebody who's like, I want to lose weight, but I also want to love my body? I mean, sometimes what body image scientists say is that body image is an inside job, right? So what we mean by that is it starts at a psychological place and being accepting and feeling content about our bodies is something we can work on completely unrelated to what our bodies actually look like. Um, and, And oftentimes people find that when they're at a more content place where they're more um, self-accepting, when they are more appreciative of their bodies, it's actually easier to make any kind of behavior change because we can frame those things as taking care of ourselves as part of self-care. And I think that's I mean, it seems really basic, but it's really different than a lot of the cultural messaging we get surrounding issues of our bodies and activity and eating. And a lot of those messages are about deprivation and restriction and really obligation and punishing ourselves. And the research just doesn't support the idea that, you know, shaming ourselves into health behaviors is going to work, right? I mean, I think we'd all be supermodels if that was like a really effective strategy because we've defaulted to that. So many of us throughout probably our adolescent and adult lives and, um, you know, instead we, we should try a different approach, right? Like what if we approach ourselves with a lot more grace and kindness? I think it's even coming back to, and I, I know I joked about the dessert, but for me, that was like a big thing is that anytime I would try and make an aesthetic change, I would feel like I didn't have the willpower, the self-control. I would feel bad about myself because I couldn't sort of white knuckle my way through things. And I started to realize that it's because I always came back to restriction instead of saying, Hey, Dessert is kind of a non-negotiable for me. It's something I love. How can I work this in? And then through finding those like healthy lifestyle habits, I ultimately also saw the results that I want. How can we start to go about reframing what's actually important for us to find that balance and then create habits that lead to that better association and better confidence? I mean, I think you're right, though. This is it's not like just an endpoint that we're striving for. And that may sound depressing to some people, but we age, we change, our circumstances change. Um, and so even if, you know, this year I get all these things figured out and I'm sleeping enough and I'm eating enough and I don't feel deprived, but I'm still getting dessert and I'm getting to exercise as much as I want, or, you know, I mean, even if I had that all figured out this year, you know, there could be a pandemic next year or something, right? And the world could turn upside down. And fortunately, usually it's not that traumatic, but, you know, maybe we have a stressor in our family or we have a job change or, uh, you know, any number of factors that could upset the balance, so to speak, that we could come to this year. So I think we have to except that there's going to be some, I don't know, renegotiating isn't really the right word, but adjustment making. We're going to have to kind of keep adjusting and we want to be kind to ourselves as we're doing that. Try to be thoughtful, but also just, you know, flexible, right? So um, yeah, of course, have dessert. I think 
you know, for me, that's pretty non-negotiable most nights too. <laughs> um, I feel deprived and cranky if I don't have it. You know, for some people, it's a glass of wine or something in the evening. And there have been phases where I've thought that I needed that. And then I realized, no, actually, I really don't. I feel better when I don't do this. Um, so, you know, I think we have to just get to know ourselves better and try to sort of stamp out a lot of those messages around us that suggest there's one right way to do this because there's not. It's almost getting out of that finite mentality and into the infinite mentality where you know it's going to be a process. And I think that's hard, and you really touch on a lot the impact that social media can have, but I think it's hard when we do see these images where I know even personally, I always use social media as my like highlight reel. You know, you keep memories there, things you want to remember. And so I think it's also remembering the impact that social media can have when people are looking at it and then it's impacting their body image. What do you sort of tell them? Yeah, social media is tricky because it can be a really cool way to connect with people. It can be a great way to to get information we want access to. Um, but we do tend to compare ourselves to what we see on social media and we need to be cognizant. And even though media literacy sounds like something for kids, it's something for us adults too, because we do need to be aware of, okay, if this person's going to keep appearing in my feed and that person always makes me feel bad, I need to get rid of them in my feed. And even if it's, you know, someone you like or someone you know, if it's not good for your mental health, we want to um, utilize what we sometimes call protective filtering, which is just protect your own sense of self, your own body image, and, and filter those social influences out. Um, and so we have to be really aware, I think, of the impact social media is having. Um, I think, too, that because of the way the algorithms and most social media programs just are set up, it can, they can really lead to sort of compulsions or obsessions or both, where we sort of feel this sense of like needing to constantly check, needing to constantly kind of be there. Um, and I usually recommend to people that you just, you know, have once or maybe twice a day where you do that kind of stuff, right? That it doesn't become this thing you're, you're tied to all the time, because I think then it feels more important to you than it really is. If it's something you're interacting with that much. You get that dopamine hit. So you keep coming back and it's even recognizing, I guess our flaws, which make us fabulous as humans, but our flaws are that we are going to compare. It's natural to do those things. So instead of telling yourself, you can't do things that are natural, it's learning to understand yourself better and your compulsions to then find systems and ways to work around them. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's nothing wrong with with comparing in that, like you say, it's natural, but it's not healthy for us to do eight times a day, right? Um, so we want to kind of put the brakes on that. And, you know, if it's, if we're really struggling or in a bad place for some reason, then, you know, taking a social media break is not the worst idea necessarily. It will all still be there a week later. It's so key we recognize that we have to sometimes listen to what we need over getting caught up in what we should be doing, what other people are doing. And in that even, I found personally, for me, teaching other people sometimes things helps better ingrain the habits. Like it's the whole I'll practice what I preach, but when I'm preaching it, I feel like I need to practice it. So where I'm going with all this is if you need to do something for yourself and you are try trying to make other changes and you have kids, 
being open and honest with them about these things can be the best way to promote a better body image for them as well. Like, what would you tell a parent who's like, hey, I'm going through these changes. How do I inspire my kids? Yeah, I think that um, a lot of the women I, I talk with that um, they're really deeply motivated by wanting something better for their kids, right? That they have either a fraught relationship with food or their body or both, and they don't want their kids to have that sort of an experience. And one of the best things we can do then is sort of get our own house in order so that we can model healthy behaviors about these things. And a lot of that, um, we don't necessarily want to externalize. We don't necessarily want to explain all of it, especially if you have young kids. Um, But we do want to be really cognizant of not saying things like, I feel really fat today, or um, I don't think these whatever clothes look good on me, or, you know, sort of treating ourselves with um, shame and um, embarrassment because we don't want our, we don't want our kids to do that. Right. So, um, so we have to stop ourselves from doing that in front of them. And, um, I think it is okay. Of course, as our kids get older, that we can be, I think a little more explicit and and explain that some of this is challenging. You know, some of this is hard. If you feel uncomfortable in your body, especially as you're going through puberty, let's say that's pretty natural. (laughs) You know, we don't want to invalidate their experiences by not being willing to talk about them. Um, But I think we have to be really careful not to work out our issues with them, right? Like they shouldn't be helping us do that per se. We want to do some of that work on our own first. But I think that's even more like that's inspiring in that we can work on our own issues and understand that we can empower them to work on them as well. And then it's just even being conscious of the language because it's what your mind believes your body achieves, right? The more we even say those things out loud, we're validating them to ourselves, not just to our kids even. Absolutely. I mean, I remember just thinking at some point when my daughter was really young, I don't want her to see me like try on clothes and stand in front of the mirror and make a fuss about it or change my clothes or any of that, right? Um, And so I was really committed to just not doing that. And I don't know that I spent a ton of time doing that, but I think probably what would be maybe average for women in terms of like, you know, try on these pants. They don't fit good. I'm going to put something else on before I go to work. And I mean, part of it, of course, too, is I just didn't have time when my kids were young. (laughs) But um, I think even just really little things like that, where you just start to develop habits for yourself, again, for the sake of your kids, where it's like, I put it on. I don't fuss. I go. I don't make a big deal about it. She doesn't see me expressing insecurity. And as a result, after years and years of behaving in that way, I just don't spend time looking in the mirror, feeling insecure anymore. Like I'm just out of that habit, which I think is very typical for for a lot of people, especially, um, you know, adolescents and young adults. It does force us to assess our habits and how they're shaping our identity and then how our identity plays into the habits that we seem to want to repeat. Exactly. Because, I mean, again, like this is just um, body image insecurity that's very typical. It's something to be embarrassed about per se, but we don't want to transmit it to the next generation. So what are ways we can, you know, not do that? And I think having this discussion about it and even recognizing that 
all of us have some struggle with it. It might be to different extents, but it's there, it's real, and it's okay to own it and even find that you'll be a work in progress forever is really key. Because I think especially as women enter like perimenopause and their body's changing and they're feeling different things where they kind of sometimes feel like a stranger in their own body, it can make it hard to wanna talk about this and they can feel a little bit shy, which I think almost makes the, the feelings about our body worse because we feel alone. I mean, I think that's definitely true. And it's not even just perimenopause. I think that women, perhaps somewhat different from men, you know, can experience a little bit of a more dramatic puberty in some ways. And then if if they choose to or end up having children, your body changes really dramatically. Um, if you do that, you know, two or three or four times, um, that's just, it's a lot, you know, and it goes on for years at a time. Um, and then perimenopause and the menopausal transition is, is also just really uncomfortable for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And, you know, the cultural messages we seem to get, is like, if you just work hard enough, you can control your body. And yet all those things we can't really control. We can't control our pubertal, pubertal timing. We can't control many aspects of a pregnancy experience. We can't control our perimenopause experience. We can do our best to manage, to treat some symptoms, things like that. But I think a big piece of this is, is like you say, recognizing it's dynamic. We're a work in progress. We have to make adjustments. Yes, we can definitely get support, whether that be medical or psychological um, or even just from a friend. Um, so we shouldn't feel alone or like we're suffering. Um, but, you know, there's just going to always be something. <laughs> there really is. And it's always about coming back to meeting ourselves where we're at, no matter what. I think that's right. You know, like I said, when we first started chatting, um, if people are looking to improve how they feel about their bodies, they have to first assess where are they? <laughs> you know, what's going on for me? What kind of help might be beneficial? And so if someone's like, hey, I really want to start seeing what I can do today to improve my relationship with my body, to then be able to inspire my kids, what would you tell them other than, you know, of course, assessing where they're at, if they're like, okay, I assessed, I need this help. I think I can do this without, you know, going to see someone right now. Where would you tell them to sort of start? I think that there are good resources that people um, can refer to in terms of developing a more positive body image. And there are some on um, my web pages even. And that can be a place to start. So get yourself some resources, do some reading, do some, some thinking. Um, Give yourself sort of that time to devote to, to how am I going to approach this? What would be good for me? Um, I do think that really reevaluating social media use can be an easy, fast thing to do, frankly. Um, and that may mean just deciding like I'm taking a day off or a week off, or I'm going to go through and spend an hour right now and unfollow things that I just know aren't helpful to me. Um, and sort of the the, the cost benefit there is 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 pretty pretty easily discerned, right? And that it's not going to cost you a lot of time or or energy or angst to to do some things concerning social media that will benefit you. So you know you can do that today. Um, so I would say do that. Think about finding some resources for yourself, 
And I think also it's just really important to, um, to try to nurture a sense of self-compassion and be a lot more forgiving of ourselves, a lot more accepting, really work on this, just how we approach all of this, the mindset. And that's so key. And I think giving ourselves grace is something that we are not prone to do, but so important that we do. Can you share where everybody can find your resources? Because I think right after this, they're going to go look for those to see what they can do to keep moving forward and building that positive relationship with their body. Yeah, I think most of um, what I've written or uh, video clips and things like that at this point um, are linked on my uh, book web pages. So the most recent books are the Body Image Book for Girls and the Body Image Book for Boys. And those web pages are really easy because it's just the Body Image Book for Girls.com and the Body Image Book for Boys.com. And um, my my personal like Rutgers web page and stuff is can be found from there too. So. Well, and I will make sure to link out to all of those in the show notes as well as the YouTube description uh, because I want everybody really diving into what they need to build that healthy, happy relationship with their body and inspire the future generations. So thank you so much, Dr. Charlotte Marquis, for joining me for today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Let's talk about getting abs. And I don't just mean macro specifics, workout specifics, I actually mean the mindsets behind it. I wanna share some of the ups and downs and challenges that you'll actually encounter when trying to attempt to get to a level of leanness you might not have ever seen before, AKA achieving that lean defined six pack or defined abs. I think so often we do just focus on like what changes I'll have to make, you know, how I have to adjust my workouts, how I have to adjust my nutrition, and we don't consider the sacrifices involved. And the more we take ownership of the negative to start, the more we're prepared for it when we do encounter those setbacks and challenges. Because goals that we've never achieved before are freaking hard to, to actually embrace and get the results that we want. So... Let's talk about getting abs for the first time, achieving that level of leanness you might not have ever achieved before in the past. I want to talk about not so much the specifics of macros or workouts, although I will touch on that, but I want to talk about the mindset that you'll need when you are trying to achieve a goal you've never achieved before, some of the challenges and things that will work against you in the process. Uh, because I do think so often we just jump to what do I need to do and we don't think about the mindset that we'll need to have, the sacrifices we'll need to make, whether or not it's actually even worth it to us. Because achieving a goal that we've never achieved before, something that is taking and testing our limits, is going to be hard. So first things first, you're going to have to embrace the suck. I know this sounds very negative, but I think the more we're prepared for those challenges and setbacks, often the easier they actually are to conquer. So the truth about losing stubborn belly fat is the process can sort of stink, okay? It's not easy to lose this stubborn fat and your body actually fights the weight loss process, especially the leaner you get. And especially when you're actually taking it to a level of leanness, your body might not have ever seen before, you might not have ever been at before, okay? And stubborn fat is more stubborn for a reason. There's a lack of blood flow to those areas and there's actually different types of fat cells. The alpha respond better to fat loss uh, fat loss systems that you implement and beta don't respond as well. You also have to remember that when you are going for this new level of leanness that you've never achieved before, you're pushing your body to an extreme to some extent because it's not familiar with it, uh, precision is going to be more key. It's not just that consistency, this is where actually making sure that you're hitting your ratio specifically, that you aren't missing those workouts, it's going to be very essential to have that snowball effect actually accumulate in the way that you want. 
and then you can't rush the process and do more. This will ultimately backfire. So often when you know we try and lose weight faster on the scale, we will train harder, we'll try and cut our calories lower, and while this might yield some of those quicker changes in terms of the scale number, this ultimately does sabotage our long-term fat loss success because it can result in muscle being lost, more metabolic adaptations, which only slow the process more. So if you are going for getting abs, you really have to say, okay, I'm going to be in this for the long haul. And you're also going to hit dead zones. And what I mean by dead zones is you're going to hit periods where it seems like nothing is changing at all, that you're just standing still. But in this period, results are accumulating. Your body wants to fight against this. So it's going to try and do everything it can to get back to what it believes is balance. And so it's not going to move forward. And that's where you're sort of in this dead zone where it's adapting to what you're actually giving it, which will then allow you to see those results snowball, but you have to be patient with it in the process because things have to catch up. So it's going to take longer than you want. Get ready for that. Uh, you got to embrace all these sort of negatives. So I want to talk a little bit more about how your body actually fights this process. So your body is focused on survival. That is its main thing. You want to survive. You want to live. It wants to keep you alive, okay? So when you feed it less, it's going to try and do what it can to adapt and conserve energy. It's going to create those metabolic adaptations that we often see. Now, your metabolism isn't broken, okay? You haven't completely broken yourself. You can reverse any metabolic adaptations you see, but it's also why we just don't want to create these in the first place if we can avoid them. But your body is going to adapt to try and run as efficiently as possible off the calories you're giving it, okay? So your body is going to draw on energy from wherever it needs, including your muscle mass. This is why when we try and rush that process, we cut our calories lower, we try and train more, we go to these extremes, we actually can make things worse. Because if your body is starving, it's not going to try and build lean muscle, it's going to try and utilize that lean muscle, which would require more calories than it's even getting to be maintained. So when you're trying to build muscle, which will burn more calories, and you're trying to eat less, your body's like, well, we don't want to keep this on. So basically all of your effort is sort of being wasted. And when you cut your calories even lower, your body's like, whoa, we're really being underfed here. So it's going to find as many ways to make you fidget less, move less during everyday life, not push as hard in your training sessions, even though you feel like you're pushing as hard. But it is going to fight that process to run efficiently off of the calories that you're giving it and maintain its fat stores for as long as possible. Again, this is going to fight everything that we're trying to accomplish. Okay. So how do you actually diet to get abs? If doing more, isn't necessarily the answer creating more extreme deficit isn't the answer, even though you're like, well, I want to try and achieve this new level of leanness. So let's talk about the actual logistics, the actual things you have to do, not just the mindsets now that hopefully you're not so negative about it that you don't want to embrace it. Because there are things we can do to really see amazing results. It's just key that we do understand there will be challenges that it is going to be a little bit more mentally taxing even than just losing weight to sort of be in that balanced state. Because anytime we're trying to push our body to a, a new limit, past a new limit even, it's going to be a challenge, okay? But talking about the nutritional aspects. So you want to avoid big calorie deficits. You want to log what you're doing currently. And then if you are really under fueling because you have been trying to force that weight loss, consider doing a reverse diet first, even increasing your calories to get up to maintenance. But if you've been maintaining your weight, you might even want to consider starting there and just adjusting your macros even before you even cut your calories. But even 100 to 200 calories under maintenance is more than enough. 
Okay. And then you need to be precise. You can't have unlogged days where you just didn't log some bite licks and nibbles. You can't have unlogged days where you went out. You need to think about even hitting your ratios within one to 2%, never going under on protein because protein is so key to helping you maintain and even building muscle mass while being in that deficit, which will help you avoid those metabolic adaptations and make sure that you're, you're losing fat, even precision down to the fact that you have to be conscious when eating out. Okay. I know this sounds like a lot, but we're not talking about maintaining a result. We're talking about achieving a result you've never seen before, pushing your body past a boundary or a limit it thinks it has right now. Okay. Once you've achieved a goal, it's often a lot easier to maintain it, but in trying to achieve it, you got to be conscious and precise with everything. Okay. High protein really will be your life when trying to achieve super new levels of leanness. Okay. You're going to want to avoid cheat days, especially to start as you potentially have been dieting for longer. They can be used strategically, uh, alcohol also because it, you know, inhibits fat oxidation because it slows the overall weight loss process because it can have other detrimental impacts in terms of how we fuel, how we train. Uh, it is not ideal to include as much as we might not find giving up alcohol sustainable in the long term for a period of time. It can really, really help if we are trying to lose stubborn fat. Okay. You want to focus on balance in terms of the foods you're including, but lots of high volume nutrient dense foods, because it's going to make you feel fuller. Uh, that being said, you don't want to restrict all the things you love because that can sabotage us and make us ultimately fall off. Now hunger. Okay. I know it can be uncomfortable to be hungry as we're going about the weight loss process, but there probably will be times if you are trying to achieve that new level of leanness that you will be hungry because your body is trying to signal you to eat more because it's like, well, this isn't normal. We're not supposed to go here. My, my survival is threatened. So it's going to tell you you're hungry. Okay. The great question I like to ask clients when they are training for a figure competition, trying to really get lean abs for, you know, their aesthetic goals, I would say, would you eat more chicken or would you eat more bland, boring tofu? Would you eat more bland, boring protein? Basically is the question you ask yourself. And if you would, maybe it is time to go a little bit higher in calories, at least for a period, do a dieting break or think about other strategic things. But if you would eat something that is not going to be just tasting good in any way, shape or form, you do want to assess that hunger. Okay. But you also have to remember that as you're cutting, there are going to be points where you are hungrier, especially as you change macros and you need to give your body time to adjust, even consider drinking some more water. And then even assess your sleep to see if that might be contributing to hunger. That's not necessarily true hunger. And then remember that supplements are supplemental, but they can be a good friend for you. Most often when clients are trying for you know, achieving that new level of leanness, that body recomp, I do include protein powder or BCAAs. Uh, sometimes we'll use reds or greens strategically as well because of the micronutrient intakes, because you are in that deficit. So you're not necessarily getting enough of any, of anything, let alone everything. Uh, I will also have them often take an immunity blend just because it can help with sleep and recovery, but also because when you are trying to get leaner and you're in that deficit, your immune system maybe isn't as strong. Now on the training side of trying to get abs, this is not going to be what you think of doing more, doing two a day sessions. Okay. Those can actually backfire as much as we might see a lot of figure fitness competitors using them because even getting abs is different than training for a figure fitness competition. Okay. And we want to set ourselves up for long-term success, not just something we're doing to hit the stage and then sort of let slide. And we have to remember that stage lean is also very different than even having ab definition lean, but training for abs. So let's talk about training for abs in our workouts. Key number one, stop doing more. Key number two is actually realizing that cardio can be catabolic and that we have to focus on strength work. So if you are an endurance athlete, if you are a runner and you're like, hey, I wanna shift my focus to this over even training for a race, 
you're gonna wanna cut back on that mileage. It's not that you can't do any, but you do have to realize that cardio is gonna be catabolic. You need to account for any cardiovascular training, especially endurance training that you're doing with your nutrition. And you do wanna shift that focus to strength workouts as well. We also have to realize that the more we're training, the hungrier we're gonna get. And so that's something you have to account for when you're creating all the systems to work together. Focus on really lifting heavy. Now, this doesn't have to mean that you go for that one rep max, that you're trying to lift, you know, thousands of pounds. We have to remember that if it challenges you, it will change you. You will want to use the diversity of rep ranges, but you can't fear working down in reps and up in loads. You also can't fear rest and recovery. And I'm not just talking about rest over the course of a week, taking that rest day. I'm talking about rest periods during your workouts. So often to feel more worked, we actually cut back on rest between sets. And this doesn't allow us to lift as optimally or keep our 100% intensity at true 100%. So don't fear adding in more rest to really be able to lift heavy. And then find ways to move more. Your body is going to naturally want to fidget less because you're feeding it less. And that's part of the metabolic adaptations that we'll see. Being conscious of this, we can actually find ways to move, add in more movement, even just walking. This shouldn't be strenuous, okay? It should be a de-stressor even, just more activity, fidgeting a little bit more, getting up from your desk, remembering to take those little breaks, doing a little bit more stretching or foam rolling to even help with recovery. But finding little ways to stay active and not let our, you know, non-exercise, you know, energy expenditure dip more because we're not moving more in everyday life. And then make sure that with your workouts, you are creating that quality volume, using a variety of rep ranges, doing moves that really meet you where you're at, moves that are efficient for the time that you have. Don't just add in more reps and sets and more rounds to create more volume and do more because a lot of times we're ending up then, you know, compensating, not moving as well, not being as intentional with the movements. And then consider how you're creating that training frequency over the week, even increasing that training frequency. So maybe you do less rounds or less moves for an area per workout, but you work that area more frequently over the week. This can really help you even build muscle while in that deficit. And consider using all three drivers of muscle growth. So not only the heavier loads, but even sometimes those pumper-based movements or isolation movements can be really key for those stubborn areas. Not only can they help us build lean muscle in those areas, but they can actually help mobilize more fatty acids from surrounding tissues. And then if we include some walking afterwards, or we even do some of these isolation moves to start and then focus on our you know, more compound lifts, uh, this can help us utilize those uh, mobilized fatty acids from those areas and lose more fat from those areas. So it's not spot reduction in the way that we've always thought about it, but as we get leaner and leaner, we can sort of make sure that we're losing from those more stubborn areas or helping ourselves mobilize more fatty acids from those stubborn areas that aren't as easy to get fat moving from. So we can use those little burners at the end, targeting those areas, and then even going for that walk to really help expedite our results or push past the boundaries that, that we might encounter or barriers that we, may, we might encounter as we get leaner. So some closing tips and tricks to really help you move forward. And again, I have to remind you that a lot of this does come back to not only the logistics of how you're implementing macros and your workouts, but the mindsets, okay? Remember that this is a challenging goal. Like an athlete training for a sport, trying to achieve a new and better result, some aesthetic that we haven't ever achieved before, uh, whether you are actually competing or just want to achieve it for yourself, which is great, uh, it's going to take embracing the hard and pushing through at times we don't want to. There will be challenges, there will be setbacks. And honestly, with any goal, the more you oversell the negative to yourself, the better off you're going to be. But we wanna know that when we're pushing our limits, we're gonna to have to be ready to embrace the hard, okay? So tips and tricks that I think are really key things I remind clients of. The scale will not show the full picture, okay? 
you need to take measurements, you need to take pictures, and then you need to make sure that when you're looking at your pictures, you're not just looking at the areas you wanna change, you're looking at all areas. Because a lot of times you're gonna lose off of areas you don't care about as much first, but you need to recognize that fat loss occurring there so that you don't end up sabotaging yourself and giving up or trying to change things when things are working, okay? So have other methods of tracking. Even tracking your progress in your workouts to see how you're improving to help you make sure that you stay consistent with the healthy habits that will actually build the aesthetic changes you want, okay? Then get ready to celebrate those habit wins. Get ready to celebrate each and every week how consistent you've been with your macros, how consistent you've been with your workouts because things aren't gonna happen as fast as you'd like in terms of those aesthetic changes because you will hit dead zones. But you gotta embrace those habits and so celebrating those as wins in and of themselves can be really key, okay? Get ready to stick with things when you want to quit. When you're hungry, you're tired, you're frustrated, you just want to, you know, not do what you're supposed to do that day when you got home from, you know, a long, busy day at work and you just want to eat what you want to eat and you don't want to have to care. Sorry, you're going to have to care, okay? But I think reminding yourself of that why, reminding yourself that this is something that you're doing for the specific goal, you know, it's not necessarily just to, to create a sustainable lifestyle. You're going to learn about all the macros, how far you can push yourself. You're going to get more comfortable being uncomfortable and that's even going to help you accomplish other goals, right? So reminding yourself of all that stuff when you are finding your encountering the heart is really key, which is sort of having those clear whys and not just one, like have a deadline that is pressing with outside accountability and pressure, but remind yourself of why this is really important for you. And again, sometimes it's just even simply proving to yourself you could do something you didn't think you could do. Okay. Overestimate the time you'll need as well. Okay. If you think, you know, oh, maybe I could do this in 60 days. Plan to have 120 days because the more we realize it's going to take a lot longer, the more we embrace the process and the less we try and do more or the less we end up jumping ship when something is working, we hit those dead zones. So the more we say this is going to take a really long time, if it happens faster, great, but we're also not discouraged when it's not happening faster. We're prepared for it. Okay. Then realize there will be wrong turns and dead zones. There's going to be times where things don't work as they, they should work. There's going to be times where you feel like you aren't seeing the results that you, you should be seeing. But that's why you want to have little mini uh, mini checkpoints within your big sort of deadline or your big time frame uh, so that you can assess what is and isn't working. But have that clear data so that it's not feelings because feelings are not data and our feelings are going to sabotage us more often than not. So realize there will be things that you do that won't work as efficiently. They're going to be setbacks. They're going to be dead zones, but you have to keep pushing through. And these are really just learning experiences. Okay. Then the final thing I want to remind you of is remember there are areas that you want to change will often be the last to change. Okay. And they're even going to start to look worse at points as you lose off of other areas. So you're going to have to embrace the long term, and you're going to have to realize that you have to track progress in other ways and that the areas you want to change the most will be the most stubborn and will be the slowest. So as much as some of this sound is kind of negative, I wanted you to have an understanding of the challenges you're going to face when really working towards like a new goal that you've never achieved before. The more we want to push our boundaries, the more we have to embrace being comfortable being uncomfortable, the more we have to embrace the hard, okay? But there's always ways to accomplish a goal that we once thought impossible. Just make sure that you're overselling the negative to yourself so that you are prepared for those setbacks and you can even plan ahead for them. But hopefully these tips really helped if this is an aesthetic goal that you wanna work towards, if you wanna achieve a six pack or lean defined abs. You have your goal. You wanna make a dietary change today. How do you get started? 
I always like to start by just logging what we're currently doing. I don't care how experienced someone is even with macros in the past, the best way to make sure that we're actually addressing our needs, our goal, our body, and meeting ourselves where we're at is to understand truly what our current lifestyle looks like. So no matter how experienced you are or how inexperienced you are, the best place to start to make a change is log what you're currently doing. Whether you use a food tracker app or you write it down on a piece of paper, just log what you ate today. Uh, this will give you a clear picture of your actual diet, so then you can make one change to it that will allow you to actually build that momentum. I think a lot of times we go to what's the ideal, what's the perfect plan, instead of saying, where am I actually at? to see what's even realistic for me to be able to do. And when we try and force that ideal, a lot of times we force something that's not at all realistic for our lifestyle, that doesn't consider our priorities, it doesn't consider how we like to make changes. We're just striving for something that we see it as ideal and it could not even be our ideal, right? So the best way to get started and action you can take today to build the momentum is simply to log what your actual day looked like. Once you have that picture and like write down all those bite licks and nibbles, all those things that often get forgotten about where we think, oh, but I've been so good all week, right? Write down all those different things. Write down all of your different triggers. Did I eat out of stress and why did I eat out of stress? Did I eat because I was fatigued? Was I extra tired today? And it doesn't just have to be your food. You can log other things, but really consider how did I break down my meals? What was the timing with those? How hungry did I feel between things? Start to really assess what your current lifestyle looks like in terms of what you're doing dietarily. And again, you can even do this with other aspects of your life. But then after you have this clear picture, don't go to the thing that you think, okay, well, I know my dessert isn't healthy, so I'm gonna cut that out first. Don't go to the hardest thing first necessarily. Even rank what changes you think you might need to make and what might be easiest and what might be hardest. So rank in order, like, hey, this would be the easiest change. I could add a little bit more vegetables or I could add one more ounce of protein or I could cut back on this one thing and then go towards what would be harder. Okay, I really enjoy my glass of wine right now every night. That would be the hardest thing to eliminate. And once you have that list, you can start at the top. Start with the easiest change this week, okay? So you did that. This week you, you set your goal of just drinking water or maybe even just set the goal of writing down every single day what you actually ate, not necessarily even striving to make any changes. You'll find through that accountability, maybe you do start to make little tweaks or you don't nibble on little things <laughs> unconsciously, right? So set one easy goal. Take that easiest thing and do it this week. Then next week when you've done that consistently all this week, Take the next thing on the list and slowly build your way up because often when we build that momentum, what seemed like a really hard change becomes a lot easier to make because we feel the progress, we see the results building, and so we wanna make more changes. Or we might even then come to a point where we're like, hey, I don't feel overwhelmed with these other things, so this will be a lot easier to do or to implement a few more all at once. Or, hey, because I've seen these results build, I'm going to strategically take this thing that would be hardest and only eliminate it for this amount of time to see how I really feel because, you know, hey, I do want faster results right now, even though I know I can work this in on a lifestyle. And then realize it doesn't have to be in or out, do it or don't do it, right? We can implement things in different ways where there might be some changes, yes, we do consistently every day, but maybe that hardest change, say it's your dessert that you don't wanna eliminate or that glass of wine with dinner or whatever else it is, maybe you just say, I'm only going to have it on these specific days. Therefore, you're not cutting it out, you're still adding it in, you're just choosing to add it in on specific days. So realize it also doesn't have to be an all or nothing approach to implementing habits. Sometimes there can be some on these days specifics that you add in. But if you wanna make a change today, write out what you're currently doing, log everything, whether it's a piece of paper or that app, and then list out in order, easiest to hardest to make changes. Pick one thing even tomorrow to get started with, 
But again, it comes back to often just taking that action and truly understanding how we can meet ourselves where we're at currently, no matter how experienced we are with actually making changes that really pays off because our body, our needs, our goals are constantly evolving and what worked in the past might not work now, but the only way we can truly address what we actually need right now is to have that accurate picture of where we're at currently. So take that action today, write out what you ate, Make sure to account for everything and then list out those changes from easiest to hardest so you can start with those easiest changes to build that momentum. I wanted to share three tips to help you improve those pull-ups. If you are listening, make sure to check out the video because I'm gonna demo all of these different cues. But I wanted to give you a way to really focus on proper form so you get those recruitment patterns working for you. Because pull-ups are an amazing movement, but it's not just about strength, it's about that mind-body connection. So whether you're doing band assisted, foot assisted, or you built up to that first full one and you just wanna increase the amount of reps you can do, these cues are super key to be more efficient with the movement pattern. So tip number one, focus on your grip. So often we don't consider how we're actually creating tension into that bar. So think about gripping the bar with all of your fingers. This can help not only better activate your back, but actually help if you had wrist or elbow pain. So often we overuse flexors and that's what can lead to pain. So when you are doing the pull-up and you set up on the bar, think about how you're actually gripping it. Are you creating tension through all of your fingers or are you tending to rock out on your hands? Creating that really tight grip can help you activate all the way down your back. And you might even find that you go from that dead hang to slightly engage just by creating that tension. We've shown that by actually creating more tension through our foundation, whether it's your feet or your hands, you better activate the muscles up your kinetic chain. So that tension with your hands can help you better engage your back. The second tip is really focus on that scapular movement. So often we just try and think about getting up to the bar. We think about pulling with our arms, but you've got to initiate that movement with your back. So when you're actually doing the pull-up, you want to think about actually pulling those shoulder blades down and together as you pull up. It's not just pulling with your arms. So in that movement, think about how you can actually lead with your chest, which leads me to cue number three and is really connected to that scapular movement. Think about not so much pulling your chest up to the bar, but the bar down to your chest. Because when we do that, not only do we create more tension into the bar, gripping with our hands, we actually then get that scapular movement. So don't ignore the importance of your hands. Focus on feeling all of your fingers really grip. Then think about initiating that movement with your shoulder blades, especially if you're using the band. Often that band sort of lifts us up over that initial engagement so that we don't have to work on that initial depression. So if you are actually using the band a ton, consider doing some mini pull-ups, whether you do foot assisted or you just do some hanging, right? But think about that initial engagement so that you can really learn to start the movement with your back to pull which will be super helpful. And then when you're thinking about actually going up to the bar, instead of thinking about lifting your chest up, think about pulling the bar down to create that tension and keep that tension through your hands. Make sure to check out the video if you are listening to see demonstrations of all of these things. And I'd love to see you guys rocking those pull-ups. Let me know if this helped. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Fitness Hacks podcast. I'd love to hear your biggest takeaways. And I'd even love to hear some of the things you'd like to see covered in future episodes.